Hello and welcome to the PC Gamer UK podcast. My name is Samuel Roberts. I'm joined today by Phil Savage and Chris Thurston. We're going to talk about our game of the year selection process today and talk a bit about the uh, the stuff we've been playing this year generally. Uh, this week we had that conversation. Sorry, Watch Dogs 2, but if you're going to be delayed, then we're not going to wait for you and uh, decided what our game of the year is, which we'll reveal in our UK issue on sale the 15th of December and also on the website uh, across the holiday period. And those are all the things that we will do. And uh, <laughs> I've done this, I guess this is my third time doing this now. And, you know, it's... Yeah. Uh, it's uh, the same pretty much every year but the category Just names change a stressful. bit <laughs> yeah it's largely like the top 100 but there's 12 or 14 um mm. yeah so uh how what kind of year would you guys say it's been in in terms of like uh, game releases do you think it's been a good year a great year a forgettable year is it a 2014 or a 2015 <laughs> it's, <laughs> a question. it's no 2000 and well it's neither of those things and that's such a cop-out answer. But I actually struggled initially, to, I suppose until the last half of the year, to pin down like really great standout individual successes from this year. Yeah. Um, until Titanfall and, and Dishonored, I think there were only a couple of games that really stood out as like things I would remember this year for. Um, I suppose maybe that's that's been true for previous years, but... I think, I think, I mean, the year started off pretty well in terms of we had a couple of very interesting indie games which always get sort of January, February kind of time that are like, oh this could be a really strong year in terms of all sorts of reasons and then the high profile AAA games came out and a lot of them missed I think early on especially like things like Mirror's Edge and then even later Mafia 3 and that stuff that had like quite quite big builds and then just didn't really turn out as well as, as you'd want Right, okay, interesting. So I guess like those sort of early indie hits of the year, I guess Stardew Valley is a good example of something that just sort of caught yeah, fire this year. Yeah, things like Stardew Valley, Oxenfree, uh, even stuff like um, Firewatch, which was a bit more divisive, I think. The but... Witness and Darkest mm. Dungeon. and the, 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 Actually, yeah, from the indie side, there's been a lot of really great stuff. But I almost feel like that's a, a constant. Like I feel yeah. like every year now has its real standout, brilliant indie games. Last year, you might point to something like Invisible Ink. Mm. It's like one of the best design games of that year. To the extent that many talk about what kind of year it's been, I always think about the the big AAA releases, partly because they're the most visible, but also partly because, strangely, they seem to be the most variable Yeah. in terms of like when the industry crashes out sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Uh, on the indie side, I, w- I would say personally, there's nothing this year that's grabbed me in the way that Her Story did last year. That was, mm. that was a real one-off. But, like, um, yeah, I'd say a very good uh, year for consistently good indies, you know? Um Mm, yes, mm. on the, there's been a few like proper breakout successes this year as well. Like Overwatch was probably the the big game of this year in in that respect. Um, certainly from the golden joysticks, the amount of trophies that we were handing out like would suggest that it's captured people's imaginations. It feels like it's something like the biggest new community, but you yeah. could argue that community stretches all the way back to the announcement of the game. Mm. Like both that's that's partly exquisitely well managed marketing, right until that ARG got away from them a little bit. Um, <laughs> Along with is it know, over yet? Still, is it still going on? <laughs> It'll never end. So. <laughs> um, along with you know, Blizzard doing what Blizzard do to a genre, which is take something complicated and make it hyper accessible, but still pretty like deep enough for people to get invested in it. And then mm. you know, so it was a sort of perfect storm of of factors that I think allowed it to sort of felt like the biggest sort of new thing of the year, or at least. It was the thing that arrived this year that we are going to be talking about forever because mm. it's it's never going to go away. No, the memes will live on. Indeed, yeah, <laughs> and, and the ARG. And the, and the and ARG, the ARG yeah. yeah. Well, okay, good. Um, it's it's 
been a, a big year in uh, for a lot of different genres. Like, um, Firaxis had two massive games this mm. year, two very successful games in Civ Six and XCOM Two. XCOM Two, I think, came in February, but like, yeah. um, it was at one of our highest rated games of the year, ninety three percent, I believe. I think that's right, isn't it? Ninety three or ninety four. I think Tom yeah. Senior just drew a big heart on it. Yes, yeah, that's left right. it at that. As I knew, we had to decipher that into a score. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, actually, that's that's maybe the, the you know the counter to my argument that I really wasn't sure what the identity of the year was until you know later in the year because that I think is one of the best games of this year. But to the extent that I'd, I'd forgotten that it came out this year, yeah, it was such a great uh, a great thing. By all accounts, I haven't played Civ Six yet, but Civ seems to have not had the same impact that um xcom 2 did in terms of feeling really new and exciting certainly and substantial it's, it's another civ game mm. uh if you've played civ 1 to 5 you are <laughs> you're gonna slip right back in it doesn't do anything like i mean xcom 2 seriously shifted the kind of the way you contextualize that campaign the, mm. the, the whole way that you think about and approach what an xcom game is whereas civ 6 just build some big cities, man. I don't know what the equivalent would be for Civ. Yeah. Like, would it be you have to collapse a civilization? Yeah. Because that would that's already established. Because that would have been the perfect game for 2016. <laughs> <laughs> we'd be slowly dismantling a perfectly operational, <laughs> fully working uh, modern civilization over over the course of thousands of years. Oh, I've got no idea what you could be referring to there. Chris. No, it's fine. It's incredibly vague. The, really, the take is almost lukewarm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that happened, and uh, that was a thing that came and went. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I just never present the news, Sam. No, it's it's more. I, I guess it's more that like I feel like I got Civ out of my system, so it just wasn't a big deal to me this year. Mm. Um, XCOM Two, um, it, it did seem like the whole kind of like you're on the run from the enemy sort of thing captured people's imaginations and was seen as a genuinely fresh thing, like you say, a field context. Um, but yeah, like Civ, I I don't know. It's like what your towns are on multiple square grids grid. Blocks and hexes, yes. Now, like, I don't know, that's not really enough for me to. It still, like, seems like the victory conditions are are pretty much the same in terms of how they actually feel to play. Yeah, a lot of that game is very much the same. I think what they did right this time was just sort of come in with a full package as opposed to waiting for DLC to come and fix everything. Yeah. Like Civ 5, which was a bit naff at launch, and then the expansions turned it into possibly one of the best Civs that you could get at the time. Yeah. Like Civ 6 came in and sort of just captured everyone's imagination quite early if you're into what is essentially the same game again. Yeah, well that's it. This is I think Civ's the sort of game that like um let's be honest, dads um will buy <laughs> will buy um every entry of and probably the sort of game that uh, it's a sort of game that a lot of people will just play that game like Football Manager and and nothing else for like a year like just judging by the mm. um Steam most played. I think this it just offers uh, comfort in that regard. But, I think there's um, a risk yeah. with Civ that it becomes the sort of the monopoly of games. When I mean, and it's say monopoly, I mean the board game. Yeah. Mm. Uh, like you know, every every household probably has played or owned a version of Monopoly at some point. Yes. Uh, which disguises the fact that Monopoly is rubbish. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Not that Civ is rubbish, but I think maybe this, unless they, st- I, it, it, I'd be interested to see someone do it, take another stab at completely redesigning that game because actually that was probably the great thing about the transition from Civ. Four to Civ Five is I don't know if they did that this time round, but those that era they were basically experimenting with just giving Civ to somebody like Soren Johnson and like, saying, you know, do a, do a Civ as you think it should be. They, I mean, they technically they they gave it this time to um, the guy who did Civ Five's expansions. So right. basically, the guy who fixed Civ Five mm. uh, just started again on on Civ Six. It does sort of still have that kind of new person in charge. Get your ideas down. 
Oh, cool. approach. That's good to know. Yeah. Or potentially as well, like um, expansions could bring some more interesting twists to it. Oh, or sure. Further ideas. Like if it's already arrived, it's a very complete package, then that's probably a good sign for its future, isn't it? I think, yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting. Last year, Endless Legend got into our Game of the Year list purely by seeming like an interesting response to a series like Civ mm. uh, in the way that it changes things up. Mm. And Civ had just had like a pretty wobbly mm, that was episode Earth, with Beyond it? Earth that no one seemed to really click with. So it was a good time for Amplitude to show up and, yeah. and out Civ Civ. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so yeah, I mean, maybe we'll see that again next year with uh, Endless Space 2. I think it's just had one of its like three big um, content drops before release, right? Mm. Mm. Yeah. It'd be intrigu- intriguing uh, to see how that turns out. Um, okay, so Chris, you played Darkest Dungeon this year. I did. That seemed to be uh, something that really kind of captured the imagination of a certain type of player in my um, Twitter feed, like um, <laughs> people who have a, a certain a certain cross section of interests. Um, can you talk about why that that was such a big deal for you this year? So um, I, you know, I, I I think that game's worthy. Like that game for me felt like it filled the same sort of concept execution design side like, level of success that um, Invisible Ink did the previous year and that's not just because they're both sort of indie games that take on a particular genre and do it really well but actually it is for exactly that reason um, so Darkest Dungeon is a uh, RPG old school sort of dungeon crawler uh, it's got elements of the old school sort of like tile based exploration roguelikes like um, Legend of Grimrock was like the most recent game that did the same sort of thing although the perspective is very different um, and it couches that within a sort of a, a Lovecraftian framework but one of the really important things about it is it, I feel like it gets uh, the Lovecraft source material in a way that a lot of adaptations of Lovecraftian stuff don't like um, it's not just you know tentacles on a goblin it's like quite um it's really interested in in partly a lot of the same language um, and the, the writing is really good but also the the sort of the, the themes of like sort of decay and hopelessness and um people just losing their minds and every human being fundamentally internally broken which is an interesting thing to build a dungeon crawler around because dungeon crawlers on the surface are all about uh, getting stronger and stronger and stronger as you go deeper and deeper and deeper into a dungeon right like that's that's why um, you know people play Diablo like people by the time they come out of Diablo expect to be playing like a beautiful glittering golden champion and they went in as a barbarian in rags and that's the arc you expect whereas Darkest Dungeon even though maybe similar to the original Diablo is about digging deeper and deeper and deeper into a single location hmm. by the time you come out of it half the people you care about are dead and everyone else is fucking crazy because as your adventurers um, go on missions their sanity is always under threat and there's a, a whole very complicated series of nested systems surrounding combat and the way people fight and the light levels inside the dungeon and the kind of supplies you've brought with you and the kinds of monsters you encounter and some of the decisions you make about who you bring and how you've treated them in the town outside and then a little bit of random chance in terms of what can happen to them that create um, these sort of amazing scenarios. So, you know, the examples I would give you is like a knight I have who is really a brilliant frontliner and I kind of want him there because he soaks up damage in a way that other characters can't and he um, is also sort of psychologically resilient and seems to be coping better than a lot of other characters but he has a kleptomaniac streak he just has this um, you know this this trait that he's picked up he's enormously devout but also a kleptomaniac and occasionally he will just take 
everything from a chest. If I find a chest, he will just say, I'm taking that. And you'll never see it again. He just sort of squirrels it away. And so I, I have to sort of account for this tax on just the fact that he's otherwise great. And then, you know, I have a pair of healers who, who both went mad in the same dungeon run, um, independently of each other. And um, because they're healers uh, and they both went, sort of, they both basically gained the, um, the disturbed trait where sometimes they'll just um, sort of natter to themselves rather than heal. And sometimes they'll refuse to be healed by each other and sort of start spouting this sort of paranoid gibberish. But you still have to kind of, there's no doing it perfectly. There's no like waiting until you get the perfect character to roll with because everyone ends up broken in some way. And sometimes when someone's under huge psychological strain, they actually come out better for it. Sometimes they gain positive traits as well. So you always want to flirt with the edge of that kind of disaster. But occasionally, and occasionally you'll think, this is fine, it's going really well. I will pour some blood into that chalice. And then you get pulled into space and eaten by a Shoggoth, mm. as, as is only right. And so um, there's loads, even though it's, you know, it's, it's a well-drawn 2D game you know with great art and stuff and there's loads to discover in it but i think it's you know it's um it's a it does a phenomenal job of matching its subject matter and the type of game that it is in a way that sort of forces you to maybe change the way you think about playing an rpg which is one of the most exciting things about it but also um manages to consistently create um stories that are specific to the player so and I think that's the sort of the two great marks for success. Another game that I would compare it to favorably is FTL, uh, for mm -hmm. the same reason. Whereas a given FTL run, you have that story of, oh shit, and then my engine room caught fire and my only guy who could fix it died and everyone, you know, suffocated. Um, the good thing about Darkest Dungeon is your run doesn't end at that point. Those people are dead, but then you're back in the town hiring another group of people to send to their doom. So yeah, it's fantastic. Wow. Cool. Yeah, I should really give that a go. I've owned it for two weeks, but uh, not played it yet. I think Andy actually got a refund on that one because he found it too depressing. I don't think the thing is depressing. Like, it's a tone it, just not for everyone. It's 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 tonally dark, but it's not um it's not miserable. It's not like it's not like it's because it is, you know, like um it's it's Lovecraftian. You know, it's 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 you know the idea is that everything is pointless and everyone's going to die and there's nothing to be discovered in the dark except screaming horror. Yeah, but you kind of know that when you go in, right? Like, it's called the darkest dungeon. It's not like mostly dark, but there's moments of levity dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for the comic relief dungeon. Mm. Like, it's, it's yeah. Well, that's a fair point, yeah. You know, it opens with a man shooting himself. Like, that's the, you know. Uh, well, I hope when Andy listens back to this, he'll, he'll, he'll find that he's embarrassed himself. But, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm still kind of amazed there is a game that is too bleak for Andy Kelly. It's uh, it happens, you know. It's it's hard, but like uh, someone managed to do it. I think maybe it's 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 richly bleak. It is it, because it's Lovecraftian. It's it's you know the the language is very you know verbose and ornate, and it's sort of dripping with detail. It's very baroque, you mm. know. Whereas um, Andy's kind of bleak is more like minimalist, a um, stark bleakness, a stark <laughs> science fiction bleakness. Whereas mm. this is a the dark 18th century sort of tenebrous bleakness. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're on the podcast to use the word tenebrous. That's, uh, that's something. Um, basically, to do the Game of the Year thing, we basically um, select a bunch of games uh, each, and then we put it into a big pile, add them up, and then Have pick awards based on oh, yeah. what gets nominated. Um, so, Phil, one, yes. of, uh, one of your nominated games this year, and something you've had to talk about a lot this year generally, is Hitman. Mm. Um, so... How uh, how has that been for you this year? 
How uh, are you all right? Because you finished the. I, I the don't F- know. I don't. I mean, maybe I don't like Hitman. Maybe it's just <laughs> a kind of Stockholm syndrome has seeped in over the course of seven reviews. Yes, that's true. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it, that was a kind of uh, that's that started in March. Is that right? When that that started coming out? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I know the beginning and then of it my never life. Stopped. And, uh... <laughs> There's always been Hitman, <laughs> and it never stopped. And like, um, what's uh, been apparent from reading your reviews is it's gone from being quite a uh, familiar feeling for Hitman experience to at the end starting to experiment with different. Yeah, um, that's been a really nice thing. Is um, like IO clearly hitting upon their stride and becoming confident in their ability to just make a, a good, dense, large Hitman level. Because um, in the current issue, we've actually got a feature uh, in which I spoke to them about the making of Sapienza, and in that they basically said to me. Yeah, we were trying to make um, something with the density of absolution, uh, sort of, yeah, with the kind of size of blood money. Blood money was quite large but sparse levels, and absolution had plenty of NPCs in it, but often for not much reason. Um, So they didn't actually know if they could do that, and I think a lot of the first few episodes were them figuring that out and realising that they could, and now that's kind of progressed into them thinking, all right, well, we've got a really strong template to just make lots of Hitman levels, but that means we can also start tweaking things. And so um, we've talked about this before in the way in Hokkaido, like the um, way you can go is tied into the disguise system by these RFID chips that all the clothes have because it's this high-tech hospital that's managed by an AI. You also can't smuggle any tools or anything into there, so you've got to find all your equipment on site. Yeah, that's quite a nice sort of change of pace. It's not a huge change, but it does kind of. I, I think if we were going, especially now they're looking at a season two, if we were just going to keep going into, uh, here's another hitman, here's another environment, and you're just going to be doing it, you know, the same thing, but maybe this time instead of a moose falling on a guy, it's going to be a car. Yeah. Then it would start to sort of wear thin. I mean, it'd still be good. It would be nice to just kind of have that continual drain of of what is quite a specific like the, I don't think anyone's really doing what Hitman offers outside of IO mm. like, even in the, the 10 years between Blood Money and Hitman there isn't much of that I can think of one game it was called like uh, I can't actually remember what it was called but it was um, by the Death Despise developers and it was quite a shoddy attempt at mimicking Hitman Silent Assassin Right. and it was like that's kind of enjoyable to play but very old fashioned and released the same week as Hitman was. Really? So yeah, that really didn't work out well for them. Well, there were ten years so they could have released it, and they released it on the week that the Hitman came out. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, unbelievable. Uh, well, okay. Well, that that didn't make anyone's uh, top games of the year, whatever that game was called. Mm. Um, that Phil can't remember the name of. So that seems like a blunder. Um, it was based on a chess move. Oh, okay. Something Russian. That's probably what it was called. No, chess Russian. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Porn, <laughs> Russian. I don't know. <laughs> Just trying to think Just of clip out chess that. things. Yeah, Theresa um, May will find that. Sam. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, unconventional. It's uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to talk about that. Um, also on your list, Phil, you had uh, Oxen Free. You mentioned it earlier. Yeah. Uh, like uh, that's something that I think anyone who played on team who played that game really sort of enjoyed it. Um, that was like right at the beginning of the year, right? Uh, yeah, it came out in January, um, and it was one of those things I played through in one sitting probably won't play again but it kind of just stuck in the mind enough that when it came to game of the year it was like you know i really want to sort of flag this up and give it a mention it's kind of a 
Andy talked about it ages ago on the podcast. It's um, a, a side-scrolling adventure game. Um, works a lot like Firewatch in the sense that most of it is responding to dialogue and letting the story emerge from your dialogue choices um, and your actions within that. Um, it's less sort of naturalistic feeling than Firewatch. Uh, like that, that's a game that sounds like two people are actually having a conversation. Yeah. Whereas Oxenfree's got that kind of Whedon-esque thing where it's very tightly scripted bants that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, All of your friends are the funniest people in the yeah, world. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like everyone's got a snappy one-liner or knows exactly what to say to you in any situation. Um, which enough, is entertaining, yeah. but yeah, a very kind of artificial feeling. Mm, interesting. Does it, have that, voice, does it have voice acting as well, that game? Yeah, right, yeah it's okay. fully voice acted. Um, and yeah, it, like it works perfectly. It, it's all set in this kind of... It, it's not a horror game as such, Um Unlike Darkest Dungeon, it is not bleak or baroque with it, but it does have quite a sort of eerie, unsettling atmosphere. It's kind of about time manipulation and radio signals, and hmm. um, a lot of it is you with an analog radio trying to tune into various signals to sort of get ghostly voices and intriguing things and that. Are they didn't. I think they did a fairly substantial update, didn't they, to tweak the last act or something like that? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I think that happened hmm. at some point, or to add some new content because it came out on consoles as well later on. Um, that's that's uh, cool. one to play over Christmas, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah like probably four or five hours long. Like I said, I played it in one sitting, and it's just. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it's on sale in the uh, for fairly cheap at the moment. Hmm. It's worth picking up. You'll probably get two to four hours of quite a good little tight story about teens. Okay, well good. That's <laughs> teens that's in a, peril. That's a nice sell. Uh so this was a little bit more of a contentious one. Um Stellaris. Uh because Phil you reviewed that early this year hmm. and you weren't blown away by the end game of it yeah, as I recall paradox. Late mid to end game did very much fall apart at the time. Um yeah. I say at the time because I think they've released It's had its customary six months later Massive patch and first expansion, yeah, which is when I started playing it. Mm-hmm. So it sort of seems like because so uh, we're both in a sort of uh, can't necessarily compare notes because I didn't play it before it had its customary, you know, first big yeah. big set of changes, and you had I think I, played it. I since haven't played it, it since then. So yeah. and this is you know seems to be the story with paradox ground strategy games like Crusader Kings. They they, they come into their own over time. Mm. Like CK two is now. Sort of this beloved thing, but it, it grew to that point over a long period of time. So I, I I put Stellaris on my list because I didn't want it to be forgotten. Yeah. Because I think a lot of the things it does. So I mean I think we probably both agree with Phil that like the early game is brilliant in Stellaris and probably was then and yeah and still is yeah, that now. Was easily the strongest element. Um, the number of the number of sort of choices, the feeling of the. The thing of like being involved in this kind of um, Star Trek style Empire Galaxy building, where you know you, you've got this race, you're defining it in all these interesting ways. The way that various events kind of pop up and help add texture to your first sort of steps into space. Yeah, it's got. It felt, I mean, despite obviously being a, a very dense strategy game, it has a substantial role playing element in terms mm. of deciding who your people are and. What the different, you know, what first contact means to them, and, and what you're looking to get out of it, and what kind of civilization you aspire to be. Um, so I really enjoyed it for that reason. There's, uh, um, but the things they've added, which I think make it worthy of a second look, are all aimed at helping to fix that mid-game and late-game slump. So there's more that can happen. 
Mm. Um, so I don't know. So I bought it in a sort of bundle with the first expansion, which is called Leviathans, and I don't know what what is patch and what is expansion if that makes sense so I don't yeah. know how much of this is available if you've only got the base game but I think the expansion's only like 8 quid or something so it's, pro it's probably worth it like just as a sort of a top up if you're planning on playing it again um, Stellaris as it currently exists basically has that beginning phase where you stretch out beyond your solar system and even just the tiny part of the galaxy you're in feels massive and then first contact with another civilization feels like a huge deal and you're sort of growing from that point and sort of establishing your first foothold in other worlds and that could be a game in itself actually and then once you've contacted a couple of different um, civilizations which is probably the point at which federations between different species can start to form it's mm. like the point where you start talking about open migration deals and things so that you know your civilizations can start to be comprised of more than one species which is something that just isn't obviously the case at the start and you can start you know experimenting with uplifting yeah. Um, other civilizations that you've found but aren't yet at space age so you know industrial civilizations and so on when you get to that point you can also start interacting with some of the new systems that have been added which include sort of they're kind of the equivalent of like uh, independent cities would be in Civ like they're basically whole advanced races that are now confined to one space station and that's where they live and they do one thing so there's like a race of traders and a race of um, artists and um, archivists that kind of will help you in different ways and you can do things for their approval and you, you know that's a big investment and so the choices you make about who you're trying to win to your side in addition to the politics of your sort of era of galactic civilization mm. is a big deal and um, this sort of leads you through also various like quest lines sort of which are all a lot to do with exploration but sort of help to pull your give your science ships a purpose other than always just be going outwards yeah. into the unknown and they um, and they help to sort of tell a story actually there's a lot of Mass Effect in Stellaris which might be one of the reasons I resonated with it quite so much because obviously they are very different games but um, they're both inspired by the same sort of Star Trek era of like um, you know 70s science fiction they both have you know brilliant synthy soundtracks to accompany basically Stellaris is the galaxy map from Mass Effect but with a game built in, a big game built into it and um, and they both sort of develop a similar sort of plot, if if you can call it a plot, given that it's a randomly generated cosmos full of randomly generated parrot men, um, and and mushroom dudes, which is that you know you have your generation of galactic civilization, but there's, there were generations of galactic civilization before you, and mm. there might well be generations of galactic civilizations after you, and so like some of the new things that can happen sort of revolve around that. So there are the leviathans, which are these basically boss encounters, but they're always slightly more complicated than that, and so they might include like. Uh, a, a, like an ancient dreadnought which is a massive space station the side of a spaceship the size of a moon that is patrolling one lonely system and it's the last survivor of a some ancient race and it'll attack anyone who enters the system there's a, a space dragon that's bigger than a sun cool. from a precursor universe and all this sort of interesting stuff and then there's also the potential in the late game for essentially uh, you know precursor races sort of you know the forerunners or the prometheans or whatever every mm. every science fiction universe has this concept um, to return and start a war that pre-exists, pre, you know, predates any of the civilizations that exist in our era, and then how you cope with that is a big set of decisions to do with allying with one side over the other, or trying to create a, a federation of young races that's powerful enough to resist, and that I think helps to, uh, you know, those those decisions help to flesh out 
what would otherwise have just have been like the cleanup phase yeah. of chasing your victory condition. They definitely tried to do stuff like that, like within the base game. But um, the the first game I played, um, at a certain point, like a wormhole opened to an alternate universe, and uh, a race of bastards poured out <laughs> endlessly. <laughs> there were bastards. Not yeah, the bastard universe. <laughs> the space bastards. Did everyone just have a goatee <laughs> in this? <laughs> Yeah, mushrooms with goatees. It was weird. <laughs> but um, the point being, okay, well, you've either got to, uh, you know, ally with other people in a race, you know, you, you other people to try and take this out together, or you just sort of try and let them destroy enough of your mm. your neighbours that you can get an advantage out of it. Problem was, uh, I was on the other side of the galaxy to them. That the the bastards stopped expanding after a while and they just stuck to their own rigid borders i couldn't ally with anyone who was already in an alliance because for whatever reason that would they would never break ai alliances at the time would never break or right. change i think that's something that they i mean that was adjusted. just a thing that probably needed fixing cuz mm. yeah it just meant that there was no political maneuvering to be done mm. um so there was actually nothing i could do but also no one would ever attack me for any reason because because there was an existential threat within the galaxy, everybody suddenly loved me, even though I was acting like a complete arsehole to everyone and trying to deliberately push my luck with everyone. And everyone was like, no, we still love you 100% because you've got a big army. You're not the bastards. Because you're not the evil space <laughs> bastards. It's like, I want to be an evil space bastard. That's my stated goal. And I just kind of got to a point where... Um, there, there seemed like there was nothing I could do that wasn't just grinding through a lot of places uh, and just throwing my ships to try and remove this existential threat so that I could be the space bastard again. <laughs> Even upstaged. Yeah. Yeah, it hasn't happened to me yet. And it sounds like, yeah, so this is what I'm saying. It's, I, it, it's hard for me to know exactly what's new. But I, as far as I can tell, there's more of that kind of thing, and it feels the AI feels better balanced. Mm. Like I've had the relationships, even just with a couple of other races from the beginning, from the sort of the beginning of the mid game, have felt a bit more. They felt they felt sufficiently nuanced, and it feels a lot like I'm always trying to conceal a little bit of my hand when it comes to yeah, negotiations right. and you know, like I mean, I'm trying to be nice to everybody. And that's sort of not always possible. Mm. Partly because um, being nice to everybody completely hemorrhages you political influence at home. Uh, you, no one will follow you if you're just making a reputation as a peacemaker, which is uh, frustrating, but an interesting design decision that they've made that maybe pushes you into becoming a bastard, basically, mm. in order to remain necessary in the eyes of your own people. Wow. That we will. <laughs> interesting. So yeah, it's a hard, it's a tricky one to figure out, really. I suppose Phil, maybe if you ever get time, then maybe you'll go back and yeah, see if they've tweaked the ending. Like at this point, and just because there's so much else about, I might wait till another couple of expansions drop and just yeah. That's the thing. Like, can... There's never going to be the time when it's finished because yeah. I mean, Crusader Kings two arguably isn't. And... It's still getting expansions every now and again. Like, yeah. I, I haven't been back to that for a couple of years, so God knows what it's like now. It's they've advanced. It's it's set in the 1940s now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, cool. Um, so, other things that came out this year then that people liked, Phil, Forza Horizon Three. Oh God, yeah, yeah, that was that was a, that was a thing that happened this year. It was uh, one of the the first. Well, it was the first good release, kind of, from uh, Microsoft on their Windows Ten. Yeah, I mean, it had some performance problems. Yes, some would argue some major performance problems, uh, which still seems to be plaguing uh, Microsoft's attempts at porting things to 
the UWP platform. Mm. Um, but it was a really good racing game. Um, I think some people thought, well, like, oh, it's, you know, it's like the new Burnout Paradise. It's technically better than Burnout Paradise because, as well as being just a really large, varied, interesting open world game, it's got an amazing racing engine underneath it. Um, just really nicely tuned, but like enough realism that it kind of, that, that each car's got its own personality. You know, feels a bit different. It act, buying a car actually feels like it means something. It isn't just filling out you know your garage for completion's sake, um, but also enough of sort of arcade, um, like enough of an arcade physics model that. You get to skid about and muck around, and it it never feels like it's taking itself too seriously. Mm. Which even like Turn Ten's main Forza, Forza Motorsport series can at times just feel like it's quite dry. Uh, this is never that. It's always quite like lighthearted and entertaining. Yeah, seems like a real uh, kind of an asset from having Microsoft uh, reinvest uh, their interest in PC again. Mm. Like it's a thing that it, had they not bothered, we just wouldn't have had this yeah, yet like, at all. Yeah, no, I, I might even argue it was sort of worth it all just for that and yeah if it all falls apart from now well at least we've got forza horizon 3 um <laughs> that's the spirit providing but, it still works in five years time. yeah um uh, also like as someone who's played all of the forces anyway uh on xbox one it, someone who bought an xbox one purely to do that you were had oh, god <laughs> uh this is i mean th- this is also the best of those games anyway because mm-hmm. uh Previous ones, one was set in Colorado, I think, uh, the other in um, just generic, tiny Euro truck simulator-style Europe. Yeah. Uh, and it was all very condensed and squeezed in, not that it was very grey and brutalist <laughs> about trucking. Um, <laughs> and uh, so... And they, they, you know, they, they they had fun courses within them. There was a lot of things to do, but Australia just has like this overwhelming variety. Like you can be in the jungle one minute, you can go over to the desert. There's just lots of different terrain types to mess about with, and it just keeps things interesting. Mm. It's not all just Italian roads, as far as the eye can see. There is there is a sort of sense of variety and and experimentation within that. Okay, interesting. And there's less dickheads. Oh, as in like radio dickheads. Uh, there's radio dickheads. There's less NPC dickheads. Okay, interesting. Forza Horizon Two is a cavalcade of dickheads. Oh. It's oh, an endless procession. The, uh, that's of... actually set in the alternate universe from Stellaris. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> the entire thing takes place in the bar. There, there are a lot of bits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it was also a great year for uh, single-player first-person shooters. Um, I'm told that because I haven't played Titanfall Two, if I played it, I'd understand that it's better than Doom. Uh, which came out this year also. So this seems to be a contentious argument. I didn't expect it to be. And actually, so that thing I said at the beginning of this episode, of like, yeah, I'm not sure what the quality of this year is. It's because I have a terrible memory. And I keep forgetting, <laughs> oh, Doom was also this yeah. year. Mm. And, you know, um, lots of other things. Dark Souls 3 was this year, but Doom... Homefront the Revolution. Homefront the Revolution. <laughs> oh, such fun memories that I've forgotten. Um, so Doom was, Doom was phenomenal. It was a phenomenal surprise. And I, it's a brilliant game. And then the important thing to remember in this time of um, people fighting about this, is they're both brilliant, Titanfall and Doom. And they, uh, I think they make interesting kind of... Um, so the way I would frame it is that Doom was brilliant because it went back to what people wanted Doom to be. And the, you know Doom had experimented a little bit with being a Half-Life-style 
horror adventure shooter mm. with Doom 3. And then Quake 4, which everyone sort of tried to forget had happened, went and tried to be like almost, you know, a modern warfare-ish sort of space romp. Um, and Doom was great because it felt like, okay, this is like modern production values and some, some you know, good for you modern design ideas, but over like the concept that you are a heavily armed rat in a maze and these levels yeah technically it's an industrial complex on mars but what it really is is a challenge stage it's got you know it's more like a mario level than it is like a real place like it has doors that you need to find the right key cards for and secrets that you get by hitting the right wall and you know it's all of these super old school 90s ideas and it's brilliant at that and it it, it sells that really well through escalating production uh, values and the sense it's always you know the, the phenomenal soundtrack and the sense it's always getting bigger and very uh, quite a, a smart melee combat system as well yeah um, we're knocking back enemies and also uh, weapon mod upgrades and that sort of stuff was uh was, that was refreshing and different from what i i understood doom to be it, yeah definitely but they all, they all translate into like it's almost like how you remember doom but not what doom was actually mm. like if yeah. that makes sense like that whole thing of like you know the that you know rip and tear is something that is a, a phrase associated with doom that you can't actually do in default doom they went to brutal doom like one of the i think the most uh, yeah the it's thing. interesting that it feels like a, a progression more from brutal doom than it does from doom which uh, was community generated yeah, right uh, like, the, like the the melee thing very specifically like you can see it in the how some of the challenge rooms work and like the way that you specifically have to sort of chain melee combat into a time based yeah. attack between enemies I mean that that's not really doom at all, but it still fits within the theme quite well. And, and what it did away with was something that was almost like an anti-doom idea buried within the original game, which is that you need to run away and hide and find health packs when you are hurt. Whereas doom had mm. sort of gained this people's memory of doom as this sort of crazy unending charge into a horde of monsters with a shotgun and a chainsaw, and you'd never stop killing stuff. And the better you were, the longer you could keep that combo going. And, and the, the brilliant decision they made was to make your predominant source of health regeneration come from melee takedowns rather than from the Call of Duty thing of like sitting behind a box mm. until the jam goes away. Or running down the corridor where the health pack is. Yeah. yeah. Um, with a little bit of that, but like mostly, mostly like mostly the correct way to be moving in Doom is forwards, like never backwards. And it's, so it's almost, when I say like it's almost more Doom than Doom, it's like people forget that, you know, in Doom you either sometimes died instantly or spent a bit of time backing mm. off and circle strafing until you found the, the room with the health or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it feels very sort of like the pace of it is very much big, like bombastic encounter. And within that you can usually, you know, you, you should be able to survive by melee or by just sort of moving around the arena and hitting the armor and, uh, health packs mm. that you come to while you're fighting yeah, and then it stops and you've got your breathing room to go and explore a bit and find secrets or dig out any weapons or whatever just sort of charge up again before you hit the next big arena and it's like it's very much based on the triggers and the way that you know you have these combat slow period combat stock up again yeah yeah and New Doom does still have that structure, but I think it it rebalances it in mm. in an interesting way. But yeah. the the that makes an interesting contrast with Titanfall, I think, because Titanfall Two is not what well, Titanfall Two single player is more like. It's also a throwback, but I think it's a throwback to the games that succeeded Doom. It's a it's a throwback to Half Life, really specifically, and and that is a comparison that I think we're kind of understandably nervous about making quite a lot of the time because that is like you know that's the the holy grail of. Mm of PC single-player shooters. 
and I genuinely do believe that over the course of like not a massively long campaign, like six, seven hours, like Titanfall two gets closer to it. Like I'll, like more frequently, just in terms of like pure level design skill than um any recent game I can think of has done, really. Because there's been a lot of really good shooters. We've seen like a Renaissance games like Wolfenstein the New Order that have gotten the shooting really right and mm. had some good level design ideas. But no one has really done the Valve thing of taking that basic framework and then really tinkering with it. Like throwing you into an environment that you don't expect that makes you rethink how you fight or giving you one-off powers um, or like, uh, you know, ways of interacting with the environment that fundamentally change what the game is about before completely discarding those ideas and moving on which I, you know for me that's like the design footprint of Half-Life 2 where it's like this is the jeep bit mm. this is the horror bit where you're stalking through Ravenholm this is the bit where you have the super powered gravity gun and everything is sort of collapsing around you um, Titanfall 2 is fundamentally structured like that and it's crazy that it came out of nowhere like it's it's super impressive in my opinion yeah, uh, it's uh, it's certainly a bit of a shocker, um, it could, particularly considering that I I didn't think any of the kind of like bot interaction in Titanfall was really interesting at all. The first one, mm. um, like I just the idea of actually being able to make a satisfying uh, first person uh, single player game out of that, out of what's in that first game, that was that's a real surprise to me. That was well, I mean, they had like I, I still feel that the first game had like the best, some of the best movement and shooting ever. Right. So yeah. I still feel that you can do, and I think Titanfall 2's success is like it would be brilliant if it didn't also have amazing movement. Mm. It does. Yeah, I I sort of agree with you that I think the perhaps the bot combat is like the weak part of it. I don't enjoy that as much. Right. But a lot of that campaign is on foot and it's with the sort of parkour and I, I don't know. My memory of playing Titanfall 2 campaign is being on foot and jumping around places, and yeah. it's not. Some, I mean, that there are obviously long sort of pitch battles in in your mech but that kind of seemed like it almost feels like that is one of the ideas that kind of comes in and gets thrown out more frequently yeah. like sometimes they use that as the central basis for a level's idea it's like you're going to fight in the bot but you're going to fight in this specific way but then the next level almost always will be okay you're separated from bt your specific robo pal mm. so yeah go and they, do it they, on your own. they never really they don't dwell too long on any one interpretation of like what fighting with the Titan should mean. Mm. So there is there is a level which is the all-out warfare where both teams have Titan, both you know factions have Titans, and you know it, it's like um, you know maybe something out of one of the multiplayer maps where it's like a, you know a beachhead with loads of loads of heavy armor on both sides. But then there are levels where you're fighting with BT in areas where he can't get everywhere you can. Mm. So, you know, he'll be in a big area trying to snipe people on the landings and walkways and gantries that you're fighting through. And it never stops experimenting with that. Mm. Wow. Maybe, so yeah, the, the Doom versus Titanfall fight is, I can understand why it's happening because it's like people were really ready to proclaim Doom the the surprise single-player shooter hit of the year. And then there was arguably a more surprising, and I would say better, game later but it's cool though because two years ago i would say we i would argue we didn't have any really no. any games like this and apart from wolfenstein, apart from wolfenstein. Yeah. and then obviously now it's Which, uh what's two years ago yeah I, I, we're trying to work out what the factor is behind it really like it did people miss it or i don't know like is it just a kind of case of how can we make this more valuable to people beyond just multiplayer so it's not just you know a multiplayer game in a box so, i don't know because even battlefield one's um single player got a fairly pr good response yeah, it's, not, it's not terrible yeah like it's not great but it's not like, and, and like even Call of Duty is experimenting more this year. Yeah, and not entirely successfully, but it's not 
Some people really liked it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, you know, they're, they're giving you at zero G combat and space combat, and mm. you know, putting some more ideas in there and a branching Mass Effect style galaxy map. That's certainly off piste for them. Yeah, it's very true. Um, okay, then, cool. So I think like the only I think we've covered most of the big games this year already. Um, I guess Tissana Two is the last massive one. Well, it's, um, it's, it's this, the, you know Battlefield uh, as well. I oh guess, yeah, of course, yeah. The surprise hit in some ways because again, it was maybe the year Battlefield became good again yeah that's true it was a very a strong year for multiplayer shooters mm. in, in, mm. in a lot of ways um yeah i mean to the point where i guess you've got what, like overwatch titanfall 2 and battlefield 1 that's a banner year really isn't it like uh i guess uh you, any of you guys still three playing things it? that like three three games that hit very specific uh, but very different kind yes. of styles of multiplayer of first person multiplayer as well like yeah yeah um and Battlefield One certainly seems to have caught uh, caught on on PC. Like I think it's got about 180,000 active players, pretty much ongoing, mm. which is impressive uh, relative to Titanfall Two, which you know anecdotally still here is a bit of a struggle to find. In a particularly I haven't had any lobbies, problems, but... but I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And like I understand that I think Titanfall Two's biggest bigger problem as a result of its um, player base is matchmaking. Like yes. You can't necessarily. Find right. It can find you players, but it can't necessarily guarantee that everyone's going to be new. For example, okay. So getting pasted might be a thing. I mean, it's pretty good about its upgrades mostly being lateral, so that someone spending time with the game isn't going to give them the ultra gun that kills everybody. But it's also such a high skill cap. Yeah, game it's a thing that... where if you have like ten more hours of experience, that's going to come through quite noticeably. Yeah. Like, um, the only thing that like I noticed one night I was playing that I got repeatedly match made with the same person mm. despite quitting out and going back in like oh, I'm done with that group but they are clearly much better than me I'll go back in again oh it's the same group that I'm facing yeah and um, but that could have been any number of factors like I don't want to pro- pro- uh, proclaim a a community dead just because of one bad experience I had one night okay fair enough uh, well. I, I guess also the um, the immense price cuts have been going on around like Black Friday have probably it up for uh, about twenty quid. Yeah, more or less everywhere now. An origin so, um, now, yeah, um, you really should like yeah. for for that sort. Of, it's currently at the kind of price where even if you don't get into the multiplayer, the single player is definitely worth it. Like hundred yeah. percent. It's fifty pounds. It was like two weeks ago. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean it's it's there's I think one thing that's happened this year, like generally, um, it, you, maybe I was just thinking about this. You could maybe say that last year was a year for like absolutely incredible open worlds mm. so you had Metal Gear 5 you had The Witcher Fallout 4 Fallout 4 um, this year was maybe a year of shooters if you think about every you know one of these big games from Doom Overwatch Titanfall Battlefield um, even you know Dishonored is a first person game with, with yeah. some shooting action stuff in it um, and but one of the things that sort of happened quietly around this is it feels like the you know, it's ten years since Call of Duty Modern Warfare now, and in that time, it's gone like that genre has gone through some pretty pretty dark, dark times in terms of not only the games but also the business models and how exploitative they can be and and how community destroying. And this felt like the year I felt most hopeful for a few reasons. One was you know Titanfall, the first game was so much um, so hindered by a the old season pass that was fully idea. destroyed. Yeah, yeah, by, yeah, by having. Like the minute the first bit of DLC came out, it was just like oh, dead. Yeah, yeah and and so and you know in Titanfall two they have loudly correct said that that was a mistake and you know pledged to correct it. And at the same time, you have Ubisoft saying that they will stick to their guns with um, Rainbow Six Siege, not having any of the same sort of community dividing yeah. impulses in it. And yeah. I feel like 
that's uh, uh, Overwatch as well as doesn't have anything like like that. It's not like new characters or maps are being charged for in that game. No, I still spent so, twenty quid trying to get a specific skin, but that's my own damage. Yeah, that's <laughs> not. <laughs> well, you don't have to, you know. <laughs> Oh dear. The, okay. um, the only community that divides is you and your peers who don't respect you anymore. <laughs> like that, Easy yeah. now, Chris, if we want to <laughs> go down this road. <laughs> Look, join me. Join me in Hat to Valhalla. Um, I, <laughs> you don't know how much money I spent on Dota. But, like, um, I'm wearing a Dota hoodie right now over a Star Wars t shirt, entirely encapsulating my personality. Um, <laughs> so very on brand. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, like it feels like you know, when one or two of these things happen, you can say this publisher's getting it right. When a whole bunch of them in a year start to seriously move away from these ideas, with the exception of Battlefield and Call of Duty, which are maybe the two series that are so big they yeah. can transcend this, the whole shittiness of it, and just do it anyway because they sell to people who will never read us complaining about it. Yeah, it's true. Um, uh, like that, I think is becoming a trend, and that's a really positive thing. And maybe, maybe the fact that we've seen this, the, the arrival of great single-player campaigns, is tied up in that because the developers are saying, "Well, if you're not going to shackle us to our desks and force us to make map packs forever, the thing we would like to do mm. is start making single-player campaigns again." Yeah, certainly for the Titanfall too, it's a case of they didn't have time to really make one the first time they made the uh, the original when they made the original. So um, this time it was a case of doing this kind of weird game jam idea where mm. they just put stitched all these ideas together to build a campaign. Um, Whereas obviously for Doom it was like I don't know I don't think anyone talked about the multiplayer this year for Doom but like getting it was a bit rubbish yeah, yeah it was rubs but it, had, it was uh, rebooted from scratch that game which is what rebooted means uh, I, now that I realise it's a Friday afternoon <laughs> <laughs> um, but and, and yeah they they they, they rebuilt uh, what that game was from something very different rumored to be an open world game I think the original okay. version of Doom like Rage maybe yeah I guess. Um, and uh, yeah, obviously scrapped it and started again, and that really paid off. Good move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, if, uh, maybe it's just a, one of those kind of random, like you know, uh, it just happens to be that a bunch of people at once decided they wanted to make this, or it was just circumstantial, you know. Well, Wolfenstein happened, and they were like, oh yeah, oh wait, yeah, yeah, and that certainly had that kind of structure of uh, just sort of one idea for a level, and then dropping it and then doing something else next mm. time like uh, yeah and that, that seems to be what Titanfall 2 has done to some extent Titanfall also. 2 does it to a much greater extent yeah. than Wolfenstein does because yeah. Wolfenstein doesn't deviate from its basic vocabulary right, in yeah. the way that Titanfall does yeah. um, but it has some of the same things like Wolfenstein I think maybe reintroduced the idea that these things should escalate like you shouldn't start shooting through a brown corridor and end shooting through a brown corridor mm. you should end on the fucking moon yeah. fighting a spider robot that's very true that mm. is, all that games is should end idea. there <laughs> Uh, I guess then the, uh, Dishonored 2 is the last kind of big one of the year not mm. counting you Watch Dogs 2 because you came out too late sorry but yeah. Yeah. still counts are quite nice <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you don't win the like awards you, but who knows um, yes uh, and so uh, yeah that this is one we, we I kind of knew going into the year that was going to be you know uh, like a big deal for us I think and uh, it doesn't yes. seem to have disappointed particularly you Chris I love it yeah it's I mean you're in too deep no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'm uh, like I love everything about that game and all parts of its family tree to such an extent that, yeah, I probably can't be trusted to be objective on it necessarily. But I didn't review it, so I don't have to be. I can just say that I love it very dearly. Um, it's like, you know, Thief is one of my favorite game series of all time. Um, and I spent more time, I think I probably played the campaign for Darkness, Iron Might and Magic more times than most human beings, which is a deeply underrated yes, first person sort of most human beings, game. that is zero times. Yeah. And everyone else, that's one time. That is a, that is a, that is a prime, that, that, is, that game is in the backlog of a million people, I guarantee you that. That oh, has yeah. been two pounds on Steam so many times. And that Good was... Kicks. If you haven't played it, if you want to kick an orc... Oh. 
just fucking kicking orc. What it's, Chris is saying is he's completed it twice. <laughs> I played that. I, mean, I have. I've played that game probably all the way through more than a dozen times. Wow, it's did fucking you? great. Have you done a reinstall on that? No, I probably should. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I should because that, that game is that is a perennial go back to simply because the combat system is so yeah. fucking good, and really it's so exciting, gigs. and there's so much you can do with the environments and booting people into things. And that game, in a lot of ways, with Thief is the template for Dishonored, which is half a stealth game, half a game about going fuck it, time to stab everybody, turn into a smoke monster, link two people through time, throw a chair at one of them, and then vanish. <laughs> Like, run away. And run away. Parkour tentacle. Uh, with my parkour tentacle. Like, it's, yeah. I don't know. It's, um, it's, the first game is amazing, and this game is better at everything that the first game does, especially now that they've fixed the performance issues, which I, I didn't encounter, so hasn't mm. coloured my opinion of it, but I do respect that it has coloured the, you know, the experience of a lot of other people. It's brilliantly conceived thematically. It's got great levels. Some amazing individual Some set pieces. Really amazing. Yeah. Uh, Some eerily similar to other games. <laughs> yeah, like maybe maybe one of there's been definitely a theme among some of the best levels in various games. Yeah, uh, indeed. Some parallel evolution happening, mm. I think. Um, and uh, also for like a game that openly invite you know compared to a lot of these single player games that openly invites being experimentally replayed. Like I'll say, yeah. like Titanfall, I think is wonderful, but if you play it again, you'll have the same experience again. Only with this time you won't be surprised by its sudden changes in direction. Dishonored, I'm halfway through my second run now, and I I know what my next two runs after this one are going to be, because um, it was you know low chaos Emily, then I'm doing high chaos Corvo, then I'm going to do no magic Emily, and then I'm going to do high chaos Emily, and then I'm going to do perfect stealth Corvo, and I know I'm going to do this because this is you know the because you played Dark Messiah Might and Magic, magic twelve times exactly. so. <laughs> and Dishonored one about four or five so. Yeah. Like yeah, no, far and away. Uh, like I would have been, I would have been beyond crushed if they'd fucked it up. Yeah, and totally. They didn't. They really didn't. Well, very exciting. So. And, and then I guess next year we've got uh, Prey from the same developers. Well, Austin version of Arcane. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. The Raphael Cantonio side of the yes the equation. Uh, well, yeah. It's uh, it, and as for what we've actually called our game of the year, there were like four contenders, mm. and uh, we 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 did figure it out. We picked um, one of those. Yes, we, we did. And uh, in the issue we're just finishing now, uh, issue three hundred of PC Gamer, which uh, is out on the fifteenth of December, you can find out what won and uh, which other games picked up awards as well. Uh, you may be surprised. You may not be surprised. I don't know what your expectations are. In all you honesty, might be angry. <laughs> you might be happy. I hope not. I hope. Uh, well, yes. It's uh, it's certainly it's going to be, be a roller coaster. You might be hungry. <laughs> <laughs> It might be Friday. <laughs> okay, cool. So I've got just a few reader questions to finish off with. I'm just finding them now. Um, three of them were from the same guy. I'm just going to read out one of them. That's from uh, Rigged for Epic. Uh, oh, not sure about that one. <laughs> uh, exactly which one you just read. Um, no, not that one either. Let's see. Um, let's uh, assume the Pro will be a wet blanket. What's that? Oh, PS4. PS4 Pro. Um, let's assume the PS4 Pro will be a wet blanket. Do you see the Scorpio? That's the Xbox thing, isn't it? Having any effect on PC gaming, good or bad? No, I don't think no. so. No. Um, Has that, have they ever console tech? Not really. I mean, only in the sense that games that get better looking because the lower bar is higher. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. When when the PS4 and Xbox One picked up enough of install base, games got slightly better. It w it won't really affect it unless they start in making terms of technology at least. Yeah, unless they make start making games just for those consoles yeah. as opposed and leaving the old ones behind. It's unlikely to have any effect uh, either way. I.e., like you know, um, the sort of uh, level of open world you can build on 
current gen versus last gen, uh, you know, d had directly affected what kind of games we got on PC. Um, so that that's one way it will, but that feels like it's a way off. Um, I don't think consoles really know what they want to be right now. Um, I think we're more likely to be affected by um, series that have previously been tr like straddling the old gen and the current generation moving on to the new generation fully now that there's another mini generation of hardware. I can't say the word generation any more times in that sentence. No, that's quite you know a lot. I mean? So there, there are, um, you know, so there's all these heavy, now pretty substantiated rumors that Destiny 2 is going to be a PC game. And that, I think, will be um, benefit hugely from the fact that it won't be supporting the Xbox 360. Yeah, that's true. That's sure. exciting as well, isn't it? Like, hopefully that, if that, hopefully that is actually true, because it's uh, kind of been ludicrous that it's, uh, it's been this long. And it's a thing to look forward to next year. Yeah, indeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, that's the last time Chris is allowed on this podcast. Because <laughs> I don't want to have to write about it for work. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, 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 I feel that way about it. Was like, it, was it was my escape. It was my escape. <laughs> it's a hard life writing about computer I games. I didn't have to have opinions. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I don't sort have of to mean. have opinions anyway, but they, they happen. This is from. Sometimes. <laughs> oh, sorry, I, I thought there was an end to that sentence. Well, Sometimes, dot, 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 life dot. finds a way. Okay. Um, this is from. Uh, Death Reveals, who says, what is the best seasonal Easter egg you can remember a game having? Um, I actually... I, I uh, had one that I've actually forgotten, but I do remember that... Um, I've talked about this before on the website, but um, Bully by Rockstar has a very good uh, Christmas section where the town is covered in snow and all the NPCs wear like little Santa hats, and it uh, actually feels like the town has changed to yeah, reflect the time. GTA Online have the same thing? Oh yeah, they actually cover Los Santos like, and snow. For a couple of days, Yeah, when everyone's away from their computers because they're visiting <laughs> family. Well, this so year I'm this year I get back early from my holidays, so I'm definitely going to see snow in GTA Five. On to GTA Online. Did yeah. um, Batman Arkham City do some cool things with Calendar Man? Oh, oh that's yeah. very true. Yeah, yeah. Um, like those games always had good Easter eggs generally, and, and um, I think I had to like do twelve separate dates of the year to get the uh, to get the achievement unlocked or something like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which you know, obviously, I assume that no one did, apart from truly crazy apart from people. The other people really into achievements who just changed the date on their system clock. Oh, fair, fair enough. Um, I don't know. There's, there's not much in the way of that, I guess. But it's uh, I don't know. I, I like the idea of people doing it. It's just, I guess, I don't know. Um, Metal doesn't um, Metal Gear tell you happy birthday. Metal Gear's got a birthday thing. Yeah, could uh, you set Snake's birthday at the start? Oh yeah. There's some rumored. Uh, Overwatch Christmas event thing going down, isn't there as well? I suppose, I mean, um, yeah, seasonal right. events, are, uh, yeah, they're ten a penny nowadays. Yeah, but and um, a good excuse to get people to spend twenty pounds on boxes. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> Forcing yeah. you to do it at gunpoint. Yeah, well, you know, um, it's it's not that yes. shameful. I do remember. Was it two years ago, Chris? That you there was like one delivery thing in Dota that you wanted and. It, it almost killed oh you. Oh boy! Um, <laughs> I don't. Actually, I don't want to make you talk about. No, this, I mean, I told this story on on uh, the Creighton Crowbar, um, so it's not it's not a mystery. Um, I think I wrote about it on the website as well, part three on the highway back when I wrote that. Um, so I I spent uh, more than two hundred pounds trying to get a dinosaur absorbing dinosaur for my partner. Wow. Okay. Uh, never gamble. And the, the the thing about this is that it was a one in two hundred and fifty drop from a chest. Uh, that was uh, locked so its contents couldn't be resold on the Steam Marketplace for a week. So I had waited a week, I could have just bought one. Uh, but I thought, well, when it kind of comes out, it's so rare, it'll be you know hundreds and hundreds of pounds, so I might as well spend £50 and just get it for what I thought would be would be cheaper. And after spending more than £200, I hadn't, I hadn't got one yet. And in the end, I didn't get one until a week later when I bought one for £20. Wow. Uh, well, it's, mm, but as a direct consequence of this, I now have a metal one-fifth scale 
replica of the international trophy that Valve sent me for spending so much money <laughs> on their game that I think they felt guiltily compelled to send me something real. Yeah. <laughs> rather it's, than a load of hats. It's almost like something to remind you of this cautionary tale, isn't I it? I like, like to refer it as my shame aegis. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, okay, this is a this is quite a I guess a plain question, but I mean it seems like one to go out on. It's from a part-time hobo. Has twenty sixteen been a good year for gaming? Why or why not? Uh, well, the why or why not we've kind of answered, but would you say I don't know? Would you say this has been like the best year in the last kind of like in recent history? Or uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I thought no. I, th- I personally thought twenty fourteen was a bit of a down year. The year we gave Alien Game of the Year that was definitely a great game of the year choice but otherwise i didn't think that was a particularly inspiring yeah, year and um last year i thought was great um if you liked uh metal gear solid 5 yeah exactly mgs5 fallout 4 uh the witcher City skylines the Before witcher people complain the witcher <laughs> i was deliberately <laughs> not saying the witcher oh, just to wind someone up well it, it, it was a year full of pictures of Geralt in the bath so. that's true that's true although that was this year also that was know, yeah, that, 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 that every year yeah. but pc gamer exists from uh, now on I think um, to answer that question basically it's worth going back to what you guys are saying about how it was a good year for first person shooters whereas last year was a good year for open world games these things just seem to come and go in waves it's actually quite hard to work out what next year's uh, really going to be about so far like mm. looking at what's I don't know we know that there's De- Destiny 2 potentially uh, there's Star Wars Battlefront 2 there is Prey there is Mass Effect Andromeda possibly RPGs mm. only if, if if Andromeda is good and 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 someone else brings out a good RPG. And that's a trend, Sam. Yes. Um, <laughs> Two or three I was just good thinking RPGs. GTA V came out on PC in 2015 as well, so that, that reinforces the year of the open world oh, yeah. theory. Oh, yeah. yeah. We Our gave 2015 out. game of 2013 pick. That yeah. was such a good award. It was just so, it was worth it how angry it made people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really um, did. We sadly couldn't repeat that award this year. There's just no way of doing it. No. Um, but yeah. Actually, we could have given. This... Oh, fuck. What is it? It's not too late, is it? Okay, you may you may uh, never off the air. <laughs> yeah. The idea I just had. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, interesting. I can't wait to hear what this is. So I'm going to wrap up the podcast now. <laughs> um, we've uh, we have an issue out now which has Ark Survival Evolved on the cover. There's a big robot dinosaur on it. There's some great features in there on Hitman and other stuff I've forgotten because what were we doing in that issue again? It's been a while. Was that the game mods issue? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah like uh, it's, uh, it's <laughs> what tw- day is it? <laughs> Uh, basically classic games in your Steam library there's some mods to help you get more out of them uh, expansions and uh, kind of like fixes and a whole bunch of cool stuff uh, it's a review special, there's a whole bunch of things you can read in there about Civ, Battlefield etc and uh, in a few weeks we've got an issue coming out with Dawn of War 3 on the cover, it's our 300th issue it's also got a magazine retrospective in it and uh, yes, it's uh, it's going to be quite the event, it's a really good issue we're just finishing it now it comes in a bag and everything comes in a bag and yes, has a, an extra magazine bit on it which is uh, exciting has mm. the 50 most important PC games in it so these are all things to look forward to we're also doing the PC Gamer Weekender in February which you can check out details on at weekender.pcgamer.com that's right isn't it and we've announced the first of the games for that which are Dawn of War 3 and Halo Wars 2 and there are other are there others Chris? There are, um, Sniper Ghost Warrior 3 Fuck! I hope I got that right. I had to memorize these yeah. all of these for the um, for the Golden Joysticks live stream. We've That's also got I asked, some, yeah. yeah <laughs> uh, which is why you would ask me. Um, Tekken Seven, Little Nightmares, yeah, um, and what is the really exciting indie game that I've forgotten the name of? Oh, um, you can find Mirage out. Arcane Warfare. <laughs> okay, cool. The uh, 
uh, Tom Banner dudes, the okay. chivalry follow up, yeah. with, but with like genies and wizards and uh, and stuff. That will be there and playable. Oh, nice. Well, uh, yes, you can go check all that out now. I think uh, early uh, bird tickets are still available for that. Yeah, until and December at nine ninety nine. Yes, which is Sunday. You can come and see us and touch our faces. That's don't, uh, don't, you, don't, <laughs> you won't you, find that on the website. But do not touch my face. <laughs> <You can> touch <laughs> Sam's face. You can touch my face. It'll be good. Uh, okay, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back uh, soonish. Uh, we will do another podcast as, as a follow up to this, where we actually go through each of the games we gave Game of the Year and talk a bit about that. We can get Andy's take as well on uh, what he thought was good in 2016. He was away today because he had to get a keyboard sent to his house. Uh, but you know that's uh, that's how we roll on PC Gamer. Yeah. <laughs> to wrap up with the airing of grievances. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm completely fine with it. It's all good. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next time. <laughs>